0: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guest is Pete Havel. Pete is a former political operative who has become an authority on workplace cultures and office politics. Lately, he's been focusing his efforts on teaching leaders and companies about the dangers of toxic environments and toxic employees. He is the author of The Arsonist in the Office, which is an amazing book about what can happen when cultures go wrong as a leader or a future leader you are not going to want to miss this episode so are you ready to dive in let's get started Welcome to Episode 9 of the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Pete Havel, who has a really interesting background. He spent most of his career in the bare-knuckle world of politics, where he worked as a lobbyist, a consultant, and an expert in crisis communication. But lately, his focus has been on office politics and the problem of toxic work environments. He is the author of The Arsonist in the Office, Fireproofing Your Life Against Toxic Coworkers, Bosses, Employees and cultures. And Pete is an expert on dealing with the problem of toxic employees. So I'm so glad he could join us today. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, John. Well, you have a very interesting uh, career history, so uh, I spend most of my time dealing with uh, people who lead businesses and lead organizations, but you come from a completely different world and that's the world of politics. So I, I briefly introduced you, but tell us a little bit more about your background, uh, you know, before you came into writing books and what have you.
1: Sure. Sure. Um... Yeah, so I've spent most of my career um, in positions that probably disqualify me from being listened to by much of your audience, <laughs> and that is uh, I was a lobbyist. I um, was, was paid and I was good at um, reading people, dealing with um, half answers, uh, half truths, no truths, and building relationships in very complicated circumstances. I would um, put the dysfunction of a legislative session or that crunch time during a political campaign up against some of the most bizarre atmospheres in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had done well in them and had um, thought I had run into about every type of difficult personality imaginable until I joined the firm. And that's what (laughs) turned me into
0: the author that I am today. Okay, and we're going to get into that because that's really interesting. Uh, your what happened to you and your experience, and how you turned that into the book that uh, I have right here in my in my hands. So, um, you know, for, first, Pete, I want to say that we met online uh, a while back because we share a common interest, uh, and that is fire. And uh, let me explain. So, I had, I had written several articles. Uh, I, w- I was a former naval officer on submarines. I'd written several articles about the problem of fires on a submarine, right? We were taught uh, as, uh, uh, you know, being on a a submarine, we were taught that you run towards a fire, you ignore your natural instincts, run toward the fire and put it out before it gets out of control. And so I use that analogy when I teach leaders that problems are like fires, right? You have to run towards them and you have to put them out before they get out of control, right? And um, so I was writing about leaders needing to run towards the fire and you were writing about people in organizations who actually start fires, the arsonists. Uh, and that was kind of interesting. So did I get that story right? Where we you first nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we have a very common interest in fires. So, um, so who are these arsonists in the office? Uh, how, do, how do we recognize them? What are, their, what are their effects on organization? Who are these people? They,
1: they are people, and uh, I guess let me tell it through the, uh, the, the story in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I got hired unknowingly to, to work with the, the untouchable employee that had caused so much damage, so much strife, freaked the management out mm. so much within the organization with uh, false accusations and threatened lawsuits and stirring up trouble that they had decided... Better to keep them inside the organization where we know what they're doing than outside and and just worry about what they might do from there. An arsonist is somebody who has a little bit of power that has the ability to take that power and use it against the organization. Mm. Knowingly or unknowingly, they may just be wired differently than everybody else. Mm -hmm. But um, arsonists, as defined in real life, are people that Burn things down that are motivated by um, wanting power, wanting mm. to use it against people, mm. wanting revenge, uh, profit motives, um, just wanting to see stuff burn. And okay. the people in the office, and I'm sure it, your listeners are, are imagining these people now, there's a lot of people in the workplace that are the same way, that like torching stuff, either for the fun of it or to knock somebody out of a position or to get that promotion over somebody else or revenge, you name it. There's
0: yeah. a lot of them out there. Yeah, I, it, it's remarkable. Someone once told me, you know, there's, there's a leader, leadership quote that says, you know, leaders need to make sure everybody's rowing in the same direction. And somebody added something to it, which I thought was good. It said, and they also have to make sure that there's no one drilling holes in the bottom of the boat. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is that there are some people, for whatever reason, that think it's fun to drill holes in the bottom of the boat while everybody's trying to row hard. And I think your experience uh, clearly showed that. It is. And when, um, you know, when, when, what, what
1: I talk about in the book so much is what happens when leaders, the people that are, that that are calling out those signals to the rowers know that it's happening and the signals that that sends, uh, when, when you're seeing people sabotage the work of the organization.
0: That's what makes this book remarkable. I think it really stands out in my mind that, um, I mean, I, and I'm, and I'm really excited you put this into a story, um, but just seeing the way management dealt with the problem or didn't deal with the problem, right? They just let the fire burn. They ran, instead of running towards the fire, they ran away from the fire, right? And they just let it burn out of control. And it's uh, that's that's probably one of the more exceptional things about this story because it's a cautionary tale of what not to do as a leader when you have an employee like this. That's right. And and you having been in a contained atmosphere
1: as somebody that, uh, that was a commander of a... Of, of a sub knows that um, knows that impact of what happens if you let the fire get out of control, that there's going to be a few seconds, and this is kind of where my leadership was, there was going to be that temporary safety of, I'm not going to get burned by this situation. But you let those fires go, there's yeah. not much room to, to hide. There's You're no room to hide. You either yeah. need to deal with it or it's yeah. going to consume you as well. And really that is where, and we're seeing it now with, with so many things, the Houston Astros, Boeing, mm. so mm. many of the, the things that are in the news where organizations let trouble start and leaders just kind of look the other way.
0: Yeah. Things are gonna catch up at some point. And the and the fire, and just like the story of the fire on the submarine, it get, runs out of control instead of doing minor damage, it does major damage, right? That's so right. it burns these companies to the ground, essentially their reputation and what have you, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the book is interesting. I, I like the fact that you wrote it as a fictional story. Um, and so you, uh, you know, you brought into the story of, of, of a man in this organization and he's dealing with this toxic, uh, coworker and, um, and you intertwine the story, the fictional story with actual, uh, lessons to be learned. Um, which I found really powerful. So why did you write the book that way? Fictional and then intertwining lessons like that? Because I thought that was a really great way to tell the story.
1: Sure. And, and my experience, um, and I what I did was fictionalize um, my story because I, I didn't want it to be a, a tell-all with, in an organization that nobody cared about around the country, <laughs> around the world, heck, outside of my own life. Um, but I had a powerful story to tell that, as I told others, my cautionary experience, friends, one-on-one, mm-hmm. um, what had happened. I had a lot of people saying you had, uh, Pete, you ought to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I thought that was a way to end the, the the coffee meeting and, uh, you know, just get me to move on with something. But as I thought more about it, I had frankly had the perfect storm of a, um, of a weakened management experience seeing the, uh, the impact of what happens when an organization's culture goes bad. So I very much wanted to tell my story because as, as we know, whether it's the, uh, the, the Bible or TV or you name it, parables and stories help people understand what happens. Yes. And I hear this a lot from folks that either review my book or send me a note online or anything like that. Um, you've got to understand to fully understand what happens when a culture breaks down, you have to know the personal impact. And for me, I had my career knocked out from under me and mm. I wanted people, not in a woe is me kind of way, but a way to understand this can happen to you yes. or leaders. This can happen to your company if you're not careful. Yes. Because that self-preservation that you talk about of people running away from the fire, it's an instinct. Yes, But to run to the fire, that you have to be trained in.
0: Yes. Yeah. No. I like that, and I think I like your terminology you use, which is fireproofing the organization. Like, how do you how do you prevent uh, or how do you deal with these kind of situations that come up? Um, I don't want to get too much in the story because I, I really want my listeners to 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 get this book and to read it, or also listen to it on Audible. I think the Audible book is really good. How you used. Uh, different different voices for the different characters. You had uh, different actors, or I guess, or friends. Uh, but I really like the uh, uh, Audible version of this book. Uh, by the way, I really like that. But the scene the scene in the Chinese restaurant in the early part of the story. And I don't want to give away too much. But um, so you have the antagonist, and, and her name in the book is is Hazel. And you have this scene in the uh, Chinese restaurant, which is. Uh, It's it's amazing. Like it's hard to believe when you're reading the story. You're just like, oh my goodness Um, (laughs) This is just a terrible situation and you you I think you did a masterful job of putting the reader in your shoes and being in that meeting and um, I think um, I just think that's a really great and powerful and, and you talked about using a fictional story to to draw people in I think that That scene alone, uh, and I won't reveal what happens in the scene, but I think that really brings people into the realization of what can happen to you when you least uh, expect it. You know, you you had mentioned uh, that you had been you'd worked with all sorts of different personality types, and just figured, well, I could work with this person as well. But um, just remarkable, and I think that story, just that that one scene, illustrates how things can change instantly in an organization and with your relationship with a toxic employee.
1: No doubt. And, and what that, what that illustrates, and again, uh, let other folks uh, read it if they'd like to, <laughs> what, um, what happened there was I'd been basically assigned to be cannon fodder for the, the untouchable employee. And my manager was afraid of this employee as well. She mm. had, uh, she had come after her at one point mm. and, and, To mitigate the situation, um, mix two chemicals together and see what happens. She said, why don't you two go out to lunch together? Yeah. And this was the person who had filed at that point. Um, They had lost track of how many false complaints she had filed against people within the organization. And I was sent into the situation of either I defy my boss saying I need to go out to lunch with this person or I deal with the... um, the the worst human resources nightmare of all time and uh, you know no good wins are going to come out of that situation if you're me and uh but it really points to that weak leadership that you don't put anybody in this situation if you're not willing to take on the situation
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, people need to read this book. Cause that scene alone, you're just going to be my, my, I think my, my mouth was like wide open, like, Holy cow. It went out. I'm having flashbacks. John. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but I just know it, it just happened in an instant and it can happen to any one of us in an instant like that. So I think it's a, I think it's a powerful story. So read the book. Cause you got to read the Chinese restaurant scene, but, um, uh, so, so you've touched on it, and i think I think this being a leadership podcast, I want to talk about this is that um in this case and in the story, the leadership knew there was a problem they knew about hazel right um, uh, they knew she was toxic, but they didn't uh, they didn't take care of it so what did what did leadership fail to do in your story what What was the problem with leadership when they had a toxic employee who was falsely accusing a lot of people, causing, causing you know, problems in the organization, just, just, to, just lighting fires to see, see what will happen, um, what did they do wrong? What did leadership get wrong in, in this case? Sure, and, and number one is that
1: uh, that thing we, we've already talked about just a little bit of if you've got a problem, you need to address it because mm-hmm. fires don't get better, cancer doesn't get better. A whole mm-hmm. lot of things in life, if you leave them alone, are not going to get better if they're problems. The other big thing, and I've had a lot of people say to me after they read the book, why didn't they just write a check? Mm. Because it's a financial issue. And the question is, what is your math equation when, when you're writing that check or deciding to not write a check and keep somebody internal? And so many people just look at it as, well, you're paying off somebody for the for the salary, and we're going to weigh that that salary cost versus oh, you know, the uh, the hit we might take from bringing somebody else in. So they, they just look at it as a trade off of employees, but they don't look at the the financial impact. They don't beyond that um, they, because they don't view the the legal risk. Um, frankly, that could have come from me. Um, mm. in, in terms of my experience there, which went wheels off very quickly because of uh, some actions that were taking place. They don't look at the attraction and retention of good employees. That watch what's happening. Look at an organization who's come off the moorings in terms of their culture and say, "I don't want to be in this place anymore."
0: Yeah, they, yeah.
1: their reputation gets hurt, um, and uh, and then productivity takes a nosedive. Want to stay say thirty to forty percent, and then healthcare costs and uh, whether it's um, mental or physical, those start going through the roof and you talk to companies that closely track uh, medications, for instance, these days, you can find out in the aggregate how much you're paying for certain drugs from, uh, from some of your healthcare providers and you can see the, uh, the spikes yeah. Frankly, different times a year. Yeah. for for, yeah. for how much people are paying for high blood pressure medication, yep. for um, for all sorts of things dealing with stress. And there's a lot of different things that companies don't put into that equation. But um, the biggest one is if you know what the right thing is to do, figure out a way to do it.
0: Yeah, I think you touched on it. I think, and I've written about this as well. Is that when you have a problem employee and leadership doesn't address the issue. It affects uh, the morale of, the, uh, of all the good people in the organization. It affects everybody in the organization because they see a problem employee that nobody's doing anything about it. And so then, as you mentioned, morale, uh, good people leave, uh, people are having health issues because they're stressed. So when you don't address a problem as a leader, and then this thing's just, just in the analogy, it, it burns, it's a fire that burns out of control.
1: That's right, and and I forgot about one of the one other issue, and that is, and I think uh, great managerial theorists would call this the "hold my beer" um, <laughs> uh, theory, um, and that is, you probably, if your hiring has been such that um, you're letting stuff slide, and your management style has let uh, problems go, you probably got more than one problem out there, yeah. and. Your employees that may kind of lean more towards Hazel, looking for a little bit of trouble, thinking I can cut a corner or I can cut the whole uh, the whole side of something to um, to get deals done or um, you know to do all sorts of unethical things. You're you're opening a Pandora's box of all sorts of issues, and I witnessed that as well, yeah. where employees got the message that it's anything goes and. Anything goes. Anything was going.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's not good. And that's and that's it. I mean, uh, you know, I talk a lot about leadership matters, right? So leadership's does matter. And if you take an absent uh management uh position where you where, you, where you're absent and you're not taking action, things can get out of control pretty fast. And in your case, uh it, it wasn't just you, it was all, all sorts of other employees had to deal with this particular individual. So it's uh because the leadership didn't do their job. That's right. Yeah. So um Unfortunately, uh, toxic employees aren't just fictional. They're not just in stories. This is real life, and um, and it seems like we're seeing a lot of it more and more in the news. You touched on a few of them earlier, but what are some recent stories that you've heard uh, which shows how important it is to get on top of uh, toxic cultures or to- toxic people? Maybe some some things that have made the headlines uh, lately that. Just show an example of where this isn't just theoretical. This is happening day in and day out with organizations.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and I, and I mentioned the Astros. Let me mm-hmm. touch on, on them with being spring training and all. Um, we we saw with them, and it all depends on who you believe in the story because you have a lot of people in, uh, in, in cover mode on that. But you have an interview by now former manager A.J. Hinch who traced all their problems back to an intern who came up with a cheating scheme. Oh, interesting. That the intern put together a spreadsheet and some other people found this spreadsheet to be something that they could use to signal when balls and strikes were coming in from the, from the other team. And the manager Hinch looked at this and decided that, um, well, it was okay. Cause there was just nothing he could do, that there were too many people that, um, that thought that this was a good idea. So here was a leader who is essentially trying to pass off now that he's out of the job, saying that an intern yeah. was the reason for for all of this bad activity within the organization that is now now has little leaguers refusing to wear their uniforms and wow the, you know the value of the team and they blame and it on Australia an intern right
0: now. blame it on an intern right blame it on an intern
1: and, yeah. Um, yeah. Here's a guy that was making literally millions of dollars a year, won a World Series, uh, but is now known, will be known for the rest of his life as a cheater. And a guy who, whether it's his version or anybody else's version, watched stuff happen and did literally nothing. And now the organization is in turmoil, their reputation's down, and the owner that saw that World Championship uh, trophy come to Houston probably has a team that's worth less than it was even a few months ago.
0: So there is a great example of where a leader didn't do anything, like where they knew something was wrong but didn't take the action, which is very similar to your story. So it's actually not uh, leaders doing the wrong thing. It's doing nothing when they see a problem or a behavior that is uh, potentially damaging and they just let that fire just get bigger and bigger. He didn't take action against it, right?
1: That's right. And I really think whether from a, a, a uh, communication standpoint or from a managerial standpoint. I'm going to get a little deep here. Uh, <laughs> in, inaction is probably the most powerful action of all in that if you get the sense that your leadership is ducking on an issue, it hurts the respect of, of the leaders and it shows essentially the pathway to a whole lot of trouble within the organization because you see your leaders flinch And you find out that um, they don't have the principles that you thought they had.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I talk. I talk. I mean, micromanagement is a problem, right? We're guys who are, you know, guys or women who are micromanaging their their workforce, right? That's a problem. But I think a bigger problem sometimes we don't talk about it is absent managers, people that just, you know, step away and let things happen and things, things get out of control really quick when there's no, there's no one just kind of keeping an eye on, you know, keeping the hand on the tiller and making sure that the boat's going in the right direction, right? Just let, let anything go. And, the, and those ships go, they run aground sometimes is what what happens when you're not paying attention. Exactly. That happens every day. Yeah, yeah, sadly. So I understand now you're um, you're going around the country and you're teaching organizations about how to fireproof their cultures, how to fireproof their companies. What type of organizations have you been working with and what's been, what have been their biggest problems and and how are you been helping them kind of sort out how to deal with this particular issue in the workplace?
1: And I'm going to get general in some ways on this and I'll I'll get specific in others. There's that political answer for you. (laughs) Um, I'm working with everything from from corporations to uh, church groups Mm. to, uh, to law enforcement organizations. And, uh, and governmental entities. And all those have different sets of issues, but a lot of it always goes back to leadership in some way. Um, you know, in churches, you've had, you've had scandals that um, all start with people with very strong beliefs in a certain set of areas that bring them together, that when they see something that uh, um, makes them uncomfortable or they don't know how to respond or they've got a friend who may be involved in it, They look the other way and terrible stuff happens. Mm. Um, In working with law enforcement, I have utmost respect for them. They've got one of the toughest jobs in the world, but they've had challenges with their people as well. So over the next few weeks, I have the privilege of going to a number of law enforcement and first responders of police and fire. Um, Okay. Chiefs organizations to help them build stronger cultures that protect against everything from from corruption to um, to har- harassment to bullying things that break down their incredible mission and hurt them in the long run. And we we've seen as cultural standards have changed, but also as uh, as crises have popped up. They're as vulnerable as anyone, and especially in the high uh, high stress jobs that they're in. When mistakes are made, they tend to be doozies. And yeah, they're big. Yeah, they, I, I've uh, I really have an opportunity to uh, to reach out to them, talking about my fireproofing message of uh, you need to bring some of the same acuity and vision that you have in all aspects of your job. Bring them internal. The yeah. value statements of how you want to reach out to the community in BC, are your people feeling it on the inside that that respect those standards, and those types of things. So whether it's the corporate or law enforcement, you name it, there's some real opportunities there, especially as you say, with how much is in the news these days, mm-hmm. to, uh, to draw on some of that
0: and help them uh, do even even greater things. Okay, interesting. So that's good. It's a uh, it's interesting that law enforcement are, are are seeking this out. I guess if you have a toxic, toxic situation in a law enforcement organization that can be that that makes headlines pretty quick, I would imagine.
1: It does. There there is and it it touches so closely to communities. You know, yes. when you have order, um that that's a wonderful thing. When you have chaos, not so much. Not a good and, thing. And um, these are these are good folks that um you know, numbers wise, no matter, no matter where you are, you have a few knuckleheads or a few folks that go beyond knucklehead status to, yeah. uh, to do some bad things. It can really spoil all the good work
0: that's done. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this being a leadership podcast, I wanted to get your take on, uh, I want to ask you this. In your opinion, what are some great, some characteristics of great leaders? So a leader worth following, what are some characteristics that you would say uh, that would be in a great leader? Well, for my
1: my topic of talking about um, culture and organizations, somebody that fully understands their role Mm. and understands that they have superpowers that only people at at their level of the organization can have.
0: Mm. And that
1: is uh, being that example Um, that they're going to set rules and they're going to follow their own rules. Mm. It's huge today. Yes, it's huge at any time, but even more so um, from what we've seen in uh, in recent years. Um, a leader needs to be somebody that is um, that's committed to, and you touch on this constantly, and I love it. Um, that person that's going to know the names of the kids and, yeah. and of the yeah. uh, of the employees and the the wives or husbands um, on the uh, that your employees see when you go home. And that you're going to be active. And leading, that word right there, it's a verb, it's an action word. Mm. Just because if you're in leadership, you, you better be doing some action rather than uh, sitting back and letting the action come to you.
0: That's great. So you guys heard that from Pete himself. He says it, it's, a, it's a leadership is an action. It's a verb. It's to get things done, not to sit back and let things happen. So that's great. I appreciate There's it. There's going to be an English teacher bashing me. For I know. Construction I know me of that. Too. So I, I'm an engineer by training, so I have an excuse. So. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for your time, Pete. I think this has been really helpful and it's definitely a subject that I don't touch on that much. So I really like uh, that you bring that perspective um, into, into this podcast and, um, and we can talk about it because I, I really think that this is an important aspect of leadership. Um, you've got to watch out for that person drilling a hole in the boat. Even if you're doing everything right, there can be someone out there that is trying to uh, take down what you're trying to do. So uh, this is good input. So how can people get more information about, about this book or to get help in addressing their cultural cha- challenges in their organization?
1: They can go to, uh, if they'd like a signed copy of my book, they can go to arsonistintheoffice.com. And that is my, what they'll see there is not only a a way to get the book, but my blog is connected to that through uh, through petehavill.com, H-A-V as in victory, And then I'm also on Amazon as well i um, competing against you, John, trying, to, trying <laughs> to match your sales every day. But um, the other way they can reach out to me is is directly to, uh, to give me a call. My number is 855-NO-ARSON, A-R-S-O-N. So 855-NO-ARSON, and then they can shoot me an email at any time at Pete at com or LinkedIn okay. or any of that good stuff. I'm everywhere.
0: Everywhere. Okay. And I will... Um... I will add these uh, links in our show notes as well so people can find it. But, um, leaders, I, I highly encourage you to pick up this book. It's a great book. Um, I've read the book and I've also listened to an audible. I, I really like uh, the way Pete did the audible, uh, part of it here, just in terms of the, the, the actors and the voices. So, uh, but either way, it's a great, uh, it's a great resource to learn about this important topic. So, um, you know, leaders, it's just a matter of time until you're going to face an arson of your own. So listen to what Pete has to say, read this book, understand uh, how this can affect you, and um, get prepared now. The best way to be ready for this kind of situation is, is to be is to read a book like this and get, get up to speed before it actually happens to you. And always remember, leaders, you need to run to the fire, not away from the fire. So thank you, Pete, and I appreciate all your insight and appreciate for you being the actual first guest uh, on the Deep Leadership Podcast. So thank you. Always glad to be a guinea pig. Thank you, John. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for today. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying, take care and lead well. electric welcome explorers of the human experience this is let's talk soul and i'm your host claudia Monticelli. we're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here soul versus consciousness we're on it spirituality versus science we've got that covered too join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom curiosity and a dash of audacity Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.